Hello and welcome to another edition of Food Chat. I'm Georgia. And I'm Sam. And today we're going to be taking a look at the future of forestry and in particular, the future of the workforce. With the ongoing advancements in technology that we regularly discuss here at Woodchat, the forest industry is changing rapidly, something that is likely to continue long into the future. But what about the workforce? How is that likely to look in 5, 10, 20 years time? And what can be done to help prepare? In an industry that's used to planning ahead, there's lots happening to ready current and future workers for the changing demands of the industry, as well as engaging young people from disciplines that aren't traditionally associated with forestry. First up is the Forest and Wood Products Australia, supported for our Future Leadership Program. For Our Future is an experiential program about regional and collaborative leadership. It's now into its second year and across these two years around 70 people have been through the program. The aims are twofold. It's about identifying and helping to train the people who will be the future leaders of the sector and giving them connectivity with each other to set up opportunities for collaboration in the future. We spoke to Matthew Liniger, Chief Executive of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, which runs the program, to find out more. So hi Matt, and thank you for agreeing to talk to us today. Um, I wondered if to start with you might be able just to give us a little bit of background um, about your organisation. Sure. The Australian Rural Leadership Foundation has been around for 27 years, and our mission in life is quite simple. Uh, we develop leaders for the greater good of rural and regional Australia. What has been your involvement then so far with Forest and Wood Products Australia and more specifically the For Our Future program? Hmm. So we uh, responded to Forest and Wood Products Australia uh, a couple of years ago. They were looking to develop uh, leaders in their industry and also leadership across the sector. And we worked with them in developing a pilot program that pilot program uh, was a success, and uh, following that pilot program, we moved into uh, this year, which is uh, running the, the full program across uh, three different areas and coming together in Canberra. Could you describe what the program looks like from a participant's perspective? Sure. So our, our programs are not about learning particular competencies or skills. It is about leadership development, and ultimately that's about you gaining a better understanding of yourself and your own behaviours your ability to form relationships and communicate with other people and the influence then you'll have on those people and the future of the sector. So from a participant's point of view, it's more about an experiential approach. So there'll be discomfort at the start, there'll be surprise. You'll get to obviously learn far more about yourself than perhaps you knew before. Then how do I start to develop those relationships with people who could be, yes, in the sector, but at a different part of the value chain than I am. And so working on what that looks like in your region, so how do you start to take the forestry sector, advance that sector in your region, and then coming to Canberra in the second session, which is about lifting your head, uh, looking at the national stage. So how can we contribute to the success of the forestry uh, sector nationally? And so more specifically then, what would be some of the activities that the participants will either have undergone in their own states or regions or will undergo when they come to Canberra? The way in which our programs operate is they don't know what's going to be happening to them. We don't typically talk about every activity that people will be going through because part of it as a leader 
is we don't deal in worlds of black and white, we deal in worlds of gray. So to be able to, to deal with, with each other in complexity uh, is a key part of leadership. So not telling people in advance all the activities they'll be doing is a key part of our, our learning approach and strategy. People will come and they'll, they'll, they'll ring us all the time. You seem to be, you seem to be missing something like uh, we're going, we know when to be, where to be when, but what are we actually going to be doing? And we'll say, that's great, Marcus. We'll, we'll see you in WA. No, no, but I need to know what we'll be doing. <laughs> we say, that's great. I'll see you there. We don't have to tell them in advance. But what, what we can uh, say is our programs are immersive and experiential. And so the participants themselves, what is the criteria that you kind of work to? Like what makes yeah. an ideal participant? So what are we looking for? Firstly, we're looking for people who already have some form of leadership experience. You don't have to be the boss or the top of the tree and that we think would be open to the sort of learning and the process we're putting in front of them. And really importantly, we believe we'll continue to contribute to the sector into the future, sure in their own organisation and also beyond that in their region and potentially nationally. We typically go through their organisations to try and identify them, uh, but equally their organisations uh, in many cases would, would make the opportunity available to their staff the program is all about the future of the industry. Are there trends or predicted skill shifts or changes that you are hoping to fill or address? What our job is, is to help produce leaders and leadership across the sector, no matter what those skills look like in the future or what is required in the future. Uh, do we require people uh, who can look uh, beyond their own organisation, their own station and lift their head and start acting in the interest beyond that? Yes, we're going to need that. So we, we're helping to uh, create an environment that will produce that sort of leader. Do we need uh, people across the sector uh, who, can, who can communicate with each other well, uh, who can form relationships, even if you're in competition in a day-to-day -day basis? Yes, we do. I wondered if you might be able just to talk to how the program has evolved and or grown mm. from pilot stage yep. to where it's at now. So, so the first phase was the pilot phase. And that involved uh, around uh, 28 uh, participants uh, across two different regions. So the idea of piloting the program was, this is a new approach, it's a new approach for the forestry industry, and is it going to work? So we worked with those, those 28 people in two different regions, and of course then brought them together in, in Canberra. So there's two, there's two parts to it, understanding yourself, understanding that smaller group of people, and what are the issues for the forestry industry that our region faces? And how can we act collectively in addressing uh, those issues? So that's the first part. And of course, the second part was, all right, now we're coming to Canberra. We're gonna bring those two groups of people together. So there's another process of getting to know each other there. And what's happening on the national stage? How can we start to have an impact and influence on what's happening there? So th they were the, the, the core tenets of the, those two parts of the program. What we discovered was, yes, the general approach, uh, we believe, did work. We were able to tweak and, and change some elements of the program, and that led into the second year, uh, which obviously doubled those numbers to, I think, around uh, 46 or 47 participants uh, in three regions. Is this a model that you've seen work in other sectors? Every program, particularly a bespoke program like this that we develop, will be that. It'll be bespoke. Has the general approach worked in other sectors? Yes, it has. Uh, and in our case, we can point to sectors like uh, the wine industry, 
uh, and the red meat sector who both use similar approaches in the past. I think what forestry have and this program have done really well is involve the whole value chain. A leadership program uh, provides an opportunity to look at what's happening in the broader sector, to look at our shared challenges and face them together. What would you hope will be the main long-term benefits of a program like this? So firstly, that individuals have developed themselves as leaders. So wherever they lead, their organisation, their community, you know, they'll be better leaders. The second thing is that there, there will be benefits to their organisations. That stronger leadership coming back into their organisation uh, will undoubtedly bode well for the future. And really importantly, thirdly, the sector starts to think, act, interact as a sector. And what about the participants? What were their perspectives on the program? I called Tammy Ord, Woodflow Manager at Timberlands Pacific, who underwent the program in its first year. What prompted you to apply for the For Our Future program? Um, well, I presented a pretty exciting opportunity, I guess, to strengthen some networks, if you like, in our region, uh, sort of get to know others working in the industry and yeah, realising that yeah, there's opportunity there to step up you know, and become more active at the you know, state level and even national level within our industry as well. And how would you describe the experience? You go into these things with a bit of trepidation and you know, a bit of concern that, you know, is it all going to be airy-fairy and um, you know, am I going to be able to use it and those sort of things, a level of nervousness as well, I guess. And, yeah, but the, the reality was that all the presenters were really inspiring, really interesting people and all with you know, a great diversity of backgrounds. And so, yeah, I think the, you know, the, a really good balance of practical uh, tools that we can use and I have used since, um, different ways of thinking about things. So, yeah, that sort of personal per, personal exploration, if you like, and development. Did you have any particular highlights that you'd like to share? There are a couple of guys that sort of ran through, sort of talked us through, I guess, a number of tools that you can use, you know, to better better work together as an industry or, um, you know, make sure that you're, you're sort of listening to others and problem-solving sort of tools, that sort of stuff. And what would you say were some of the most valuable takeaways from the experience? Um, I think it was, it was pretty clear to me, or once I've sort of left the session, I guess, um, the, the amount of collaboration that we we could have as an industry that we tend not to use. Um, certainly since doing the program, you know, a lot more of my work here has involved bringing people from other businesses and other companies and, and just um, you know, collaborating on things rather than working independently with each other. Yeah, together we can be much stronger than, than our individual units. And how will this experience benefit you in your career going forward? I think for me it, it probably gave me a level of confidence to, to actually voice my opinion. Yeah, I think all too often we sort of sit back saying, oh, well, you know, my, my view's not really... Yeah, there's people out there that have been doing this stuff for years. They know what they're talking about and they don't really care what I think. Yeah, one thing the course taught me was that, yeah, perhaps I've got something valuable to say. More of us need to actually step up and, and say what we're thinking to, to actually contribute to then drive the industry forward. Um, and as I say, yeah, part of that comes from being vulnerable in front of each other and, and showing their weaknesses and so on. That's it's definitely a, um, yeah, a very solid way to, to make those people then feel better about voicing an opinion and not being concerned about that going forward. Some really interesting thoughts there from Tammy Ald on the For Our Future Leadership Program. And what about the differing skill sets that will be required by the industry in the future that haven't been required traditionally? Well, the ABARES recently announced the recipients of its 2019 Science and Innovation Awards, one of whom was data scientist James Gondilius of the Australian National University. 
James is working on research that he hopes will advise plantation managers about eucalyptus variants that will thrive in a future warmer and drier climate. We caught up with James to discuss how his distinct skills are being applied to an industry that even he didn't expect to end up working in. With the award that we're here to talk about today, what was the first that you kind of heard about it? How did it come onto your radar? Yeah, so I actually found out about the award program um, on an advertisement on Facebook. So I think I just liked a few science pages and the Department of Agriculture advertised people uh, interested in science. When and how did you hear that you'd been successful in that process? Yeah, so I was still asleep actually. Um, I got a call from uh, one of the receptionists at the Department of Agriculture informed me, the call woke me up, but it was probably the best way I've ever been woken up before, so. Um, and what was your response? <laughs> Are you serious? Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was a really big moment for me, actually. Yeah, I'd never sort of gotten anything like this before, and this is the first time that I've ever applied for a research grant. So for me to sort of have nailed it on the first go was uh, quite a sense of achievement. Prior to entering the forestry area, could you explain what area you had been focusing on? Yeah, definitely. An increasing amount of biological research is being done with supercomputers and using computers to analyse massive genetic data sets. After I took a few introductory biology courses at uni, I decided to take an introductory computer programming, computer science course. Then from there, I really saw the, the value of it because it's like a hard skill, you know. Um, come from a family where, you know, there's quite a lot of tradesmen. And I guess I saw it in that light. It's a it's an actual skill that you sort of learn and you can use anywhere. So there was a course offered at this university at the ANU, which basically involved using computer programming and maths to answer biological questions using genetic data. So I took that course. Personally, I just that's when I kind of fell in love with it. So after that, uh, one of the conveners of the course, he basically offered me a job. Uh, and that was basically, yeah, as a computer programmer, to help answer biological questions. And so as a data scientist then, was there any particular driver that led you into the space of kind of forestry? Not really actually. Um, so the work that we do in the lab is lots of, it's all plant sciences to do with trees and stuff, but it's more from a ecological and I guess biodiversity point of view. But when I saw this uh, research grant advertised, it was for forestry and I kind of thought, well, what we do is on plants. We haven't really dived into the forestry too much of it, but I'm going to give it a crack because like for me, I think I enjoy being able to work on projects that have a real world application and can actually impact people. Given that forestry is such a massive industry in Australia, a lot of jobs rely on it. Yeah, so I think it was just sort of the mix of everything set the perfect storm. With the industry and the way that things are going, the skill sets that will be required in forestry will be quite different in the future and people like yourself will be needed. Do you think there are things the forestry industry could be doing now to attract people with those more scientific or technical skill sets? Definitely. Um, a good way to even attract people like that is to, I guess, get the word out there. Prior to me having any involvement in the forestry industry, I didn't even know that, I guess, there was that kind of need for data scientists. I think a really good way to attract uh, people with tech skills is to hold hackathons to hold competitions, you know, to offer a little bit of a cash prize just to sort of get smart people in. But then I guess when people see the problems that we can work on and the potential application and benefit that we can have to society and the industry in general, you can attract a lot of people with skills that are in high demand. So. And so this research project 
that we're here to talk about today. Are you able to just give me an overview of, of exactly what it's all about? Yep, definitely. But we're trying to predict basically which genetic variants of a species uh, of a eucalyptus species called eucalyptus globulus are going to be susceptible to the effects of climate change. So then we can identify the at-risk species and we can identify a species that we predict will be better suited to future climate conditions because obviously the climate's changing. So um, we need to safeguard our industry by you know, providing ways that we can pick genetic variants of uh, certain plants that will match the future environmental conditions because yeah, it would just have a devastating effect if, if what we plant now is not adapted to um, conditions later down the track. This is kind of really pertinent to forestry because the climate can change quite significantly between the time of when a seed was planted and then when it's harvested. We definitely want to be able to predict what we plant now will be well suited to the conditions in 20, 30 years. But yeah, in short, it allows us to model the genetics of a plant based on combination of environmental and uh, geographical coordinates. So uh, we can model genetics as a uh, product of the current environment, temperature, rainfall, you know, humidity, and there's about 22 of those variables um, on top of the actual geographic location. Um, and then from there, we can basically take this model and we can plug in the future predicted bioclimactic variables and environmental variables and see how under our model, genetics changes uh, when the environment changes. You can basically make inference from these changes um, to identify which genetic variants are going to be better suited to the future climate. What will happen with the information once the project's completed? Uh, publish it, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a massive fan of open science and having our software pipelines open source. Um, so as part of the grant, I've promised to uh, basically publish the results publish the data sets so that other scientists can actually use our data to then ask other questions and sort of build upon a body of research that can actually help move the industry in the right direction. But then also, I guess, there'll be members of particular you know, tree breeding associations um, that also might be interested in the research as well, because obviously they're trying to build very you know, resilient lines. It will allow members of the forestry industry to be able to have some more guided information on which trees should be included into um, breeding programs or you know, uh, which trees grow well under certain environmental conditions. Fascinating stuff. It'll be interesting to see how this all evolves into the future and whether people like James will be increasingly required to participate. And for that matter, what measures the industry will take to make sure that happens. Absolutely. And that's just about it for another edition of Wood Chat. We really hope you'll join us next time for more fascinating timber-related discussion.